Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the most annoying episode of Danger Room ever. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. I'm still suffering a little from my my uh, my loss of voice, so my kitty pride is not going to be that effective. And I don't have a kitty pride, and this whole issue is kitty pride-centric, so this is going to be rough. It's going to be me tearing my voice apart in an attempt to do this stupid kitty voice, kitty pride voice that I came up with. You can you can reinvent yourself. <laughs> this is uh, issue one hundred and forty-three of Merry Christmas X Men, and it was published in uh, March of nineteen eighty-one on sale December sixteenth of nineteen eighty. So we're doing that thing again. Oh, hello. And, uh, this one's titled Demon. Ooh. Down in the valley on a foggy hill rock Stood a crazy little demon blowing his top Fire in his eyes and smoke from his head You gotta be real cool to hear the words he said He did the Soul for the one he loved, so he had death on his mind. Cause my demon let him go. He's gonna run through the world till he understand his pain. Somebody help him get his demon home again. He did uh, and on the cover, there is definitely a green demon, which is uh, uh, standing practically on top of Kitty Pride, who is none the wiser, shining a flashlight into the wrong direction. Well, she's the wiser, but she just doesn't realize that. It's behind her. She, she's got the. She's got that. I know there's something in the room, and I have this feeling like it's right behind me. <laughs> yeah. Look on her face. There's a Christmas tree in the background with some presents, and it says, "Guess what just came down the chimney?" My pants. <laughs> I hope not. This is a family-friendly comic book. <laughs> this is a Terry Austin cover. Uh, the second of three. Yeah, it's not quite as uh, iconic as X-Men number 142, but it's it's okay. It's good. It's definitely not bad. Yeah. He, uh, well, uh, he has a different style than John Byrne, Adam. Uh, it's me being obvious. He's, he's, he's all about, like, hashes, it looks like. Hash marks. Lots of, lots of hash marks. Well, he is an ink, inker. And, yeah. Know, that's all inkers ever really do is hash marks. But I like it. I like the demon. I don't know if I'm so much in love with Kitty Pride's design here, but whatever. I mean, it's as much as they could do with this costume. Yeah, yeah. I think it's mostly her lips, like the expression that's on her face. Ooh. <laughs> oh, my God. So there you go. Uh, and we open up this book, and we see Storm being attacked from behind by demons. And the demons are cutting her through her chest, just like a sentinel did. Yeah, but it's it's more of like a like a psychic spear. And actually, this is a, a recreation of the events that happened in what X Men number ninety five six ninety six. So yeah. they are rejoining the Nagari at the Cairn, uh, wherever it was in Westchester, New York. I guess. Presumably, it was in the backyard of the professor's mansion, wasn't it? Because it was within walking distance for Cyclops when he first found it. Well, running distance. Ah. So, and he's a strapping young lad. So that's true. You know. So yes, the, these events here take place prior to uh, everything that we've read for for a while here, and it's just kind of a recreation. The uh, the corporate challenge was the other day, and I ran 
3.5 miles in 30 minutes, and I'm no cyclops. So I'm going to guess that it was like, it's about six miles outside of the professor's. 3.5 miles in 35 or 30 minutes or 35 minutes? 30 minutes. That's not good time, Adam. (laughs) That's really good time. What are you talking about? I don't know. That's an eight-minute mile, dude. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Shows, shows, Shows the math that I can do. I could have done it in 25. No, you couldn't have. <laughs> fine. All right, fine. Six miles away from, from Westchester, from, from the mansion. And besides, I was under half an hour. I just rounded up to be, to be, to be brief. But you had to dig it in. <laughs> I don't know what good running time is, Adam. <laughs> uh, so she's fighting these, uh, these demons. Uh, they recreate the destruction of the cairn because I think she... She blew it away, didn't she? Yes, she did. Uh, she exploded it. And they uh, they discussed that they thought that the Nagari were presumably done with and forgotten, and we would not have to hear from them ever again. Professor Xavier, the X-Men's founder and mentor, telepathically assures her the battle is over. The victory won. He believed that destroying the Cairn would forever seal the gateway between the Nagari dimension and Earth. He was wrong. I don't think that's what actually happened. I believe that issue ended with them all saying, I don't know if they're ever going to come back. I think you are right. I think that's almost word for word what the professor says. But definitely he says, like, the threat is gone for now, but we will never know. Or something like that. Something cryptic. So, cut to many months later. We see from the rear a lone Nagari pacing across the winter uh, landscape. And the design is vaguely alien-esque. Well, I mean, the design is the same as it was in 96, right? No, I don't think so. I mean, that was, wasn't that like Craigoris or something? That guy had a name. Well, I, well, I don't know. We feel like we should look now. <laughs> it was like it was like he had like eight thousand names. He was like Krakoris, the unleasher of evil tidings and pet eater. Hang on, I'm was... looking. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm convinced that this is an alien ripoff, but uh, I guess I could be wrong. So issue number ninety six, Night of the Demon, it was called. No, yeah, there was uh, Karak the Dam, and and Karak the Dam, he's horned, he's got one eye, he's got a um, uh, the split tongue thing going on, like a snake. He's just like a big demon guy. He's got wings. But what about all the 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 demons that attack Storm at the end? Are are they vaguely alien esque or not at all? Like these guys just look like crocodile lizard men. All right. So what what year did Alien come out? Alien uh... was like 1979, I think. Oh, okay. Okay, it all comes together. You're, you're right. This is totally an alien ripoff then. Wait, didn't we see a xenomorph at the table at one of the, uh, at, at, at like the Shi'ar table in a couple issues ago? Was that, a, was that, yeah, yes, we did. Yes, yes. And that was a. Uh, yeah, so the alien has definitely come out. Yeah, it's definitely a, an impact in this. Well, it's Star Wars as well. All those sci-fi uh, cliches, well, not even cliches at this point, but franchises of are making their way into the pages of the X-Men. But anyways... There's a documentary out right now that I highly recommend. It's called Yodorowsky's Dune. No? If you're no. into... Uh, if you really like Alien, you, you'd you be surprised about this movie. Uh, yeah. You should check it out. 
So I like Alien, but I'm not like a huge Alien fanatic. Well, this this movie really isn't about Alien, but no. if you if you like Alien, it's it's kind of about uh, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's off topic. So. Okay, <laughs> Yodorowski's Dune. I'll check it out. All right. So meanwhile, back of the comic book, there's two young lovers, Douglas and Ellie, and uh, they're I think they're either newly married or they're a newly romantic couple. But either way, they're they're out to cut a small Christmas tree for their apartment. And they're in love. But not for long. (laughs) (laughs) And just like that, this thing jumps out of the trees and it apparently devours them body and soul. Yep. Uh, For Douglas Moore, death is virtually instantaneous. His wife has time for a choked cry that has ended as quickly as abruptly as her life in front of a blood red moon. Aww. (laughs) They went out like they lived. Wait, I don't know what that means. And then we get the credits. Chris Claremont, John Byrne, writing, co-plotting, and penciling. Terry Austin, inking, Tom Orzachowski, lettering, Glynis Ween, coloring, Louise Jones, editing, and Jim Shooter is the editor-in-chief. And in the creepy demon font with a demon crawling over it is the title Demon. Yep. I can't argue with you, but I did. I did. I do have to say, uh, they. They. It's been a month since their uh, battle in Washington D.C. with the New Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, mm-hmm. and that reminded me, who calls themselves the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants? Well, I think we've had this discussion many times, <laughs> but come on, yeah. why don't they just call themselves the Brotherhood of Mutants? I think they. Well, actually, Stan Lee has gone on record as being like, uh, I really regretted creating that name because. They didn't think they were evil. They thought that they were doing the right thing. They just had different means so that they would never refer to themselves as the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. So I I agree. And in fact, I mean, in every TV series that they've done or the movie, actually, I don't think they've, yeah, in the movies too, they were just the Brotherhood. Hmm. So the Brotherhood of Righteous Mutants. See, that now that I could see somebody calling themselves, but... I don't think anybody, evil or good, like Hitler didn't go around being like, we're evil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. The Mutant Liberation Front, although I think that does is an actual thing eventually. It is, I believe, yes. Uh, yep, and they're uh, catching their breath, honing skills, learning new ones. And so in the uh, computer room somewhere in the mansion, uh, the professor is teaching Kitty Pride the Blackbird Ignition Procedure. Hi. Master switch on, brakes locked, throttles to go. (laughs) Angel is in the background. Uh, The car is ready, and apparently Angel is going to take the professor somewhere. Well, no, he's not. He's not? No, he's... uh... He's just, he's just letting the professor know, Oh, as we'll find out next page. Well, yeah. The car is ready, and, uh, yeah. And and he's he's very secretive about it, too. And the professor, the car is ready. It's uh, getting late, if you know what I mean. Something oh. Is up. They're going on a double date. <laughs> oh, the angel's going out on a date with the professor. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, Kitty Pryde, she leans back and she's like, I feel like I could build our blackbird out of spare parts with my eyes closed. And that's when the professor says, Kitty, I shan't be satisfied until you can. Who says shan't? I shan't. Kitty (laughs) says, oi, because she's Jewish. (laughs) (laughs) We all went through the grinder, kid. Now it's your turn. And this is the easy part. 
Thank you, Angel. I'm sure Kitty appreciates such encouragement. We'll be downstairs directly. And... So, downstairs directly, the uh, Kitty wheels the professor down to meet a uh, hulking colossus over Wolverine and Mariko Yoshida. Yeah. It's as if uh, uh, John Byrne wanted to reestablish how big um, Colossus was. He's not quite little Wolverine. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I don't mind so much. No, everything's wrong. He's way too tall and he's way too bulky. Every time, I mean, this makes uh, Wolverine just look like a skinny pencil necked geek. Well, Wolverine's supposed to be a short runt. He is supposed to be short, but I mean, we've seen him in costume. We know he's got muscle definition and tone. I always see Wolverine as kind of a short and, but, but wide guy, wide with muscles. Yeah. Uh, but I and, and Colossus obviously is big, but I mean he's like nine feet tall in this picture. <laughs> but you put on a cowboy suit like the one that Wolverine's got, and you you you, you lose all muscle definition. It's just how it works. <laughs> well, you also lose a lot of coolness points. That's for sure. <laughs> Prof, I'd like to introduce my um lady. I just found that out <laughs> just minutes ago. <laughs> she she told me the uh, she's my lady. Charles Xavier, Mariko Yoshida. Which, roughly translated, means... Good evening. Nice to meet you, Professor. I am pleased to meet you. Which is, again, the in the comic book. I'm going to say something in Japanese and then repeat it in English for those of you who don't understand. I, look, I'm surprised that uh, Chris Claremont went to the lengths to like look this stuff up. Unless he is like multilingual... Um, but when do the uh, translation boxes come in? And uh, they, they, I mean, at some point, I don't know if maybe this has just hasn't happened yet. They will they'll put like little boxes with asterisks mm-hmm. in the corner, and it'll be roughly translated. That means right. good evening, professor. I am pleased to meet you. Well, they they do away with that entirely, and then they just put little brackets around like good evening, professor. I'm pleased to meet you with an asterisk right. next to it, with then just says translated from whatever language. So. Right. Maybe maybe in the Marvel bullpen in 1980, there's a whole bunch of interns running around translating various things for the writers. And then due to staff cuts, they're like, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> and that's when they introduced the box. They're all wrong, too. I mean, like, uh, they got the, the accent is not over the J, it's over the O. I learned a lot from doing Google. Oh, really? Because the accent in mine is over the J. I mean, in the, in the book, it's over the J, but oh. on Google, it's over the O. Oh, got it. Well, Nightcrawler swoops in, and he says, Mariko, long time no see. You look beautiful as ever. And he holds out the mistletoe and kisses her on the cheek. Hey, Nightcrawler-san. And that's when Wolverine goes into a berserker rage and says, Back off, elf. What do you think you're doing? Mariko's my lady. Retractable adamantium claws flash from the backs of Wolverine's hands, and only Nightcrawler's ability to teleport saves him from some nasty wounds. More likely death, I would have to <laughs> say, but, you know, <laughs> why mince work? Colossus turns into his metal form and grabs Wolverine and pulls him aside and says, Wolverine, what do you think you're doing? Kurt is our friend. <laughs> that sounds like Kurt. Yeah, I don't know. I think I lost whatever I could do with Russian. <laughs> so now it's just a deeper German... <laughs> <laughs> Let go of me, you tin-plated lummox. And that's when the professor chimes in with some uh, telepathy and 
tells Wolverine to sheath his claws. Kurt meant no harm. It's just an innocent Christmas uh, gr- uh, greeting, not some enemy's attack. We don't see a uh, Nightcrawler for a few more pan- panels. He must have wet himself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have to change my costume. Uh, and the Wolverine admits that uh, he lost his cool. He's sorry. So this was literally not just like a "Hey, I'm I'm playfully threatening you with my claws." Like apparently he was seriously out for some blood. Yeah, he he lost his uh, stuff. He says, "I'm obliged, Charlie. Your telepathic mind touch did the trick." I like that mind touch. Mm-hmm. Yet another uh, way of calling the the mind connection. There's so many words. Somebody out there needs to create a drink, a telepathic mind touch. Come on. <laughs> uh, he guesses that the old ways die hard. Mine are a killer's instincts. Always have been. Always will be. I thought. I hope that could be changed. I was wrong. Misfit, Kurt, I'm, I'm sorry. I lost my head. Early Wolverine always talks in these absolutes. But <laughs> That's true. Well, uh, so Kitty, she's watching this. Wait a minute. Oh. He takes Mariko out with him and leaves. If I was Mariko, I'd be like, uh, Wolverine-san, <laughs> I don't want to go with you anymore. <laughs> That's true. He's just talked about his killer instincts will always be there and he can never be changed. Come on. <laughs> Let's go out to eat. Not your friend. <laughs> and you're wearing a very dumb cowboy hat. <laughs> uh, are you from Canada or the rodeo? Kitty picks up the uh, um, mistletoe that uh, Nightcrawler had earlier, holds it above Colossus's head, and decides that she's going to lighten up the mood. So she kisses him on the forehead and says, Merry Christmas, sexy. Kitty. There you go. That's a good Russian. So we know that there's, early on in the X-Men, there's a little sort of relationship between Kitty and Colossus. But think about how, I don't know, weird this is. Kitty is, what, 13? Yeah. And Colossus is 17? Something like that. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't seem... To me, it doesn't seem like it matters in any, like, era. That's still an awkward age range to try to develop a relationship. Um, I, 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 I don't have kids, so you know better than I do. So you're 17. You're a senior in high school. And okay. thir- a freshman, a 13-year-old freshman is like, hello, sexy. Aren't you like, uh... Get away in a couple know. years. High school was a long time ago, man. All right. I'm just trying to put it in perspective. Like now, it doesn't matter. Like, twenty six year freshmen dated seniors in in high school. No, I suppose that. Well, that's true. I mean, I mean, it was it was it was maybe a little bit stigmatized, but I, I'm pretty sure it happened. I'm sure you're right. I don't know. Maybe it's more socially normed than than I'm led to. Then I maybe I'm a prude. Who knows? You're just being protective of your daughter. That could be. As a father of somebody who's not even close to 13, I take offense to this. <laughs> I think this book should be banned. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, Kitty catches Peter blushing. Nightcrawler says, "Good thing you only kissed him on the cheek, and anywhere else, and he probably would have dropped that from shock." You know, Kurt, I am beginning to regret rescuing you just now. Are you indeed? And now Storm has come in and she says, I've brought the automobile around, Professor. Who talks like that? The automobile is around front. You know, the <laughs> the, the, the butler. <laughs> Anybody up for a ride in the automobile? 
That's how Jarvis talks. Because the automobile is out. All right, anyways. So the professor is going somewhere, um, and... Uh, Colossus picks up the chair and throws it into the back of the car. <laughs> he does. Why, why are they putting the chair in the car? <laughs> I don't know. So all of the X-Men go out to, to take the professor to the automobile. And uh, they best. Angel wonders if the very clear, lovely night is Aurora's doing. And she says, What good is being a mutant weather witch if one can't conjure up a crystal clear Christmas Eve? Way to go, Aurora! Have a nice time, you guys! So who's leaving? The Professor, Storm, and Colossus, and Nightcrawler? Yes, they're all leaving in the same car. Logan and Mariko already left. And now Angel takes off. See you later, kid. My lady Candy Southern and I have a long overdue date. You may not see me again till Easter. Oh, he's going to get it on. Enjoy yourself, Angel. So she wipes a kind of a sigh of relief off her forehead. It's like, finally, they're all gone. Oh, my gosh. She freaks out. What am I saying? I'm all alone. It's a Home Alone episode. <laughs> she yeah. slaps her palms. Ah, <laughs> shouldn't have shaved. Yes, and so she goes in, she does a lot of thinking throughout the rest of this issue, but... So it's pretty weird that the they just left Kitty by herself in the mansion. She kind of thinks that to herself, uh, but she also Where's thinks... freaking family? That's true. Well, she thinks to herself, I've never spent Hanukkah away from home before. I wonder how mom and dad are doing. So she calls them, but uh, I guess just as... She, does she, I don't know, does she make the call? Yeah, she makes the call and she gets no answer. Yeah, but... But then the phone rings and she's like, oh, maybe it's mom and dad calling me back. And then it turns out it's Scott Summers. And she says, mom, dad. Oh, it's you, Scott. Sorry. Hi, Scott. (laughs) This is Kitty Pride. Do you remember me? So Scott is uh, in the town of Shark Bay in Florida. He, uh, ever since Jean Grey died and they went to the funeral, he has been on the road. What do you think that means? He's doing a, he's doing a David Banner. <laughs> yeah. Could be. Not a Bruce Banner, a David Banner. I'm surprised that they haven't written, like, that series of comic books. You know, if you have the hidden years for the X-Men, why aren't there, like, Cyclops, the hidden months? Because for once in... in... His godforsaken life, nothing happened. (laughs) Absolutely nothing happened. Uh, So he is, apparently he wanted to wish everybody Merry Christmas, but nobody's around. So he also comments that it's weird that all the X-Men left. Poor kid. She sounded really lonely. I know the feeling. I had too many Christmases like that growing up in the old orphanage. Why the others leave her, though? That's not like the X-Men at all. So he calls out, uh, he's by a boat, uh, he's looking for Lee Forrester, captain of the Arcadia, and he was wondering where he was. I was told he was hiring crew. I'm crew. (laughs) And so the person who we at first think is a man digging in some sort of a, I don't know. Fish bucket. Fish bucket, sure. Turns around, takes her hat off and says, I'm Lee Forrester. Elites to my relatives. I don't know how you pronounce that. (laughs) (laughs) You heard right. You're a girl. Care to try again, sport? Uh, I'm sorry. I mean, I... 
would you accept a douchebag? <laughs> Scott. Scotty Douchebag Summers, at your service. Come on aboard, Scott. We'll spit a pot of coffee and talk. Oh, man. And just like that, little gigolo Scott meets another woman. She's psychic. <laughs> uh, yeah. Has that ever happened to you, Adam? You're just like, hey, I'm looking for this person. And like, come drink coffee with me now. Um... Not that I can recall. <laughs> oh, well, but it's not out of the question. Like, you could see that being a foreseeable thing. Like, sure, that could happen. Especially after you're like, you're a girl! Well, you know, this is Scott Summers, and he's like, you know, he's looking for, he, he just said he was looking for a, a job, so it's not out of the uh, out of the question for her to want to interview him. It's true. So I, I'm thinking this is not... You know, there's nothing, there's nothing dirty going on here. I think she just wants to know whether or not she actually wants to hire this dude. Hmm. Do you think? Jackass. Do you think she splits a coffee with all of her prospective employees? Yes. Okay, that's a lot of coffee. She must not sleep much. I don't know how many employees she has. I mean, how many, how many sh- uh, members of of a crew are there on this ship? Uh, apparently, none. <laughs> Maybe Scott's the first. And it also looks like it's the middle of the night here. It's dark out, there's stars, so I don't know. Who's drinking coffee at 9 o'clock at night? It was a safer time. (laughs) Okay. It's decaf. Ah, there you go. Perfect. So Kitty, uh, I, I don't know if she's using some slang dialogue here, but she's like, Enough with the mopes already. Yeah, the all is missing already. <laughs> well, I was talking about, I mean, the already is pretty bad, but I was just talking about the mopes. Well, I know what the mopes are. Well, of course, but who, but who talks like that? That that doesn't that doesn't nearly bother me much as already. <laughs> uh, she's a big girl now, and, and she happens to be an X-Man, too. So she's going to go to the danger room and run a com or she can't run a combat workout, but she can kind of set up a gymnasium aspect and she can, she can work out her loneliness. (laughs) She's going to be working out for a long Christmas. I feel like there should be like some early eighties workout montage music here, (laughs) like pushing it to the limit. If that's even a song and if it's not, it should be. It was like the greatest workout song ever. I'm a maniac. <laughs> no, I, I'm sure there's some, no, but, but that is a good one. Uh, <laughs> no, I was I was thinking of another one, but I can't remember what it is. Oh, I'm sure there's some like workout tape by Jane Fonda that's got some classic music that would fit in right here. Oh, man, now I'm ticked off because I can't remember the song that I'm trying to remember. Is it from a Rocky it's, film? Like a disco classic. It's got a video where this woman is working out, um, and and you know what I was talking about. If Does she have short it's... black hair and like a like a pink bandana type thing? Not bandana, but headband. And the whole thing is about working out, but it's totally double entendres. Yeah, I know exactly uh, what you're talking about, but I can't think of how it goes or what it is. I can picture the video, anyways. Yeah, what? I'm I'm, I'm at YouTube and I'm looking up disco workout video and hoping. That it that didn't work. <laughs> it didn't. No. Physical. Let's get physical. That's what you're yes. thinking of. Let's get physical, physical, physical. All right. So Kitty Pride is in the danger room and she is working out to Olivia Newton-John's physical. 
Which probably came out in like 84 or something and therefore does not exist. No way. Now you're going to make me look that. 1981. Let's see. There you go. It doesn't exist. Damn. <laughs> Anyways, so she's she's uh, she's working out on the horse. There's some weights. She's thinking to herself about how when she was two or three or four or five or six or seven or eight or nine, well, any old age, she thought that superhero life was all fun and games. No one told me I'd be spending an hour a day plus schoolwork studying. Mm-hmm. Or another hour every day exercising. This isn't just me either. All the X-Men work out. This way things are going, I'll probably turn into a teenage female Arnold Schwarzenegger. Or perhaps Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> that might work. Uh, she says that it's the, it's the superpowers that give them their, their abilities, not and they don't need training. Their bodies don't need training, and plus she's in great shape anyways. But then on the parallel bars, she kind of falls a little bit and hurts herself. she got a twinge in her thigh. Alley-oop. Yes. Uh, and then she talks a little bit about Jean Grey and how all the X-Men get a little bit sad when they talk about her, which makes sense. <laughs> she died as an X-Man. I could die. I wish I'd known her better. Bring. <laughs> That's when there's a possible intruder in Zone 4. Zone floor is upstairs, Aurora's attic. Which leads me to ask, like, why doesn't it just say Aurora's attic rather than zone four? <laughs> but whatever. So they have this burglar alarm <laughs> that goes off, and then it it prints on the house computer, to, prints out the details of the burglary on the wall scan screen. Mm-hmm. And the wall scan screen says possible intruder zone four. This is like the stupidest burglar, like, <laughs> like burglar protection system ever. <laughs> well, it's, it was more of an afterthought. It was installed by that guy. You remember that throwaway issue, like number 96 or whatever? <laughs> the electrician dude looked like glasses. So she phases up through the, throughout the danger room, up a few flights of stairs and into Aurora's attic. And she's thinking about, like, last time there was a burglar alarm, it was a tree branch that fell down. And she called the police, but they made her feel like a jerk. Well, the cops took it in stride, but she still felt like a jerk. Right. This is the first time we see her walking up air molecules as stairs. Running up air molecules is a lot more fun than walking up stairs. So this is the first first use of that, isn't it? That's what I just said. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Gee, it's gotten awful cold all of a sudden. And no wonder my costume's insulated and I can still feel the cold icicle city. (laughs) Oh no, where are those flowers? So when she opens up the door, the attic window has been smashed in. It's very cold. All the plants are dead. Uh, but she's kind of confused, like, the winter air... Wait, they're all dead, poor things, but this isn't right. Granted, this attic was like a hothouse, but the winter air wouldn't have killed them so quickly or so completely. And now there's goop on the floor. That sounds... Someone's in here, but who? Not who, Kitty. What? No! And so this is... I don't know, this design is kind of alien-esque, but... Not really. I mean, sort of. It look. It's not a direct rip off. It, but I. It to me, it's look. It looks very inspired by Alien. If you yeah. if you compare this to the demon that was in issue ninety 
six, like there's not a not a trace of resemblance. Okay. But but yeah, I mean it's not a it's not a direct ripoff, but it's it's similar. The demon lunges after her and she phases through the floor, uh, which the demon then tears open following her. And um, she's like running through walls. This this is a scene very reminiscent to uh, the scene in X-Men 3 where she's being chased by the juggernaut. She's uh, running through all sorts of walls and the demon is chasing after her, destroying wall after wall. Yeah, and she she realizes she's not going to be able to fight this thing, and uh, she just, she figures maybe she can outsmart though. So she runs into the attic and phases through the floor, uh, hoping that it'll lose track of her, which it seems to. She points out that if she, if she phases, uh, it's, assem- it's essentially uh, disappearing in midair, so her scent will go away. Uh, such that even Wolverine wouldn't be able to find it. So she's hoping that maybe if this demon is following her order, if she phases, it won't be able to sense that order either. This is a good plan. So she uh, she doesn't do any more phasing. I think she she just crawls around in the basement, but then she goes straight to where the phone is uh, so she can call the professor's Rolls-Royce uh, car phone. Mm-hmm. Ask X-Men to the rescue. Bye-bye, Beastie. She thinks to herself, like, this is the part in the movie where the monster's waiting for me on the other side of the door. And after she grabs the phone, the monster is waiting for her on the other side of the door. It smashes the door, scares her, and she's able to phase in time, but it doesn't really matter because as the demon's claws go through her phased body, she screams. I felt that. I managed to face the instant before it hit me, but its attack still hurt. I've never felt such agony. My right arm is numb, frozen, useless. So she runs. She sure thinks a lot. She, oh, my God. This whole issue is nothing but her thinking. Yeah, but, I mean, I can understand it up until this point. Yeah. Well, but also for pacing reasons, you probably need to throw some of the dial. I don't know. It seems there's a lot of words. So throw in a book. Like, how many ways can we describe my my right arm being numb? Right. My right arm's numb, frozen, useless, <laughs> hurt. Uh, uh, I'm, well, I'm not very good at this, but <laughs> my point is made. <laughs> so she realizes that even when she's phased, the creature can hurt her, so she's going to have to come up with a different plan. Uh, also, her guts feel like they've been twisted inside out. So she phases into the danger room. Um, and decides that she's going to make her stand here. And she does. This is a pretty good idea. She programs the most dangerous sequences possible, except she's having to do it one-handed, so she's she's doing it kind of slow. And she's, uh, she went into the danger room through the front of the danger room door and then phased up to the control room, so she was hoping that the creature would chase her through that door so she could trip the danger room, but instead... It was too smart, and it bursts into the control room. Which makes me wonder, where is, like, is there, there's a different door to the control? I guess there would have to be, but yeah. I've never really thought about it before. Well, they don't ever really explain it. Well, they haven't yet. Maybe they do sometime in the future. But as of yet, they haven't explained where the second door is. So uh, the the creature then jumps out at Kitty. Kitty falls backwards. And the demon shatters the armored, supposedly unbreakable glass with terrifying ease. 
It short-circuits the computer, and they are both now in the dangerously programmed danger room. So she programmed the, the danger room, but then she phased through the controls, thereby making them all wacky. Mm-hmm. But then the, the uh, I keep wanting to call it an alien, the uh, demon uh, pretty much destroys the uh, controls, so anything could happen. Yep. And as Kitty lands, she feels the room come to life around her. The demon closes in, but then like the floor erupts in a whole bunch of cylinders that shoot upward at the demon. Nailed the creep! The demon rips up a part of the floor and then flames. Bad move, ugly. Reacting that way is sure to throw the danger room systems out of control and cancel the safety interlocks. Unfortunately, when the devices in here run wild, they can not only kill you, but they can kill me as well. Except that I can phase. (laughs) Flames erupt out of the floor, engulfing the demon, but it's mostly impervious. Uh, and then there's, uh, oh, she's, she's, she's running away from the creature. She's dodging all sorts of things. It's, uh, she says some kind of interesting things. Her phasing ability will protect her from mechanical threats, but gas, sonic attacks, or hallucin- hallucinogenic light shows, uh, she has no defense against. That must be a subtle reference to Dazzler. <laughs> Which, by the way, there's an advertisement in this very issue. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, let's see. At the same time, she's got to stay away from the creature. Um, Which she does pretty well. It looks like the creature is getting attacked by a um, a lot of things here. <laughs> yeah, there's a buzzsaw. Putting a giant hypodermic needle. A buzzsaw, a big needle, lasers, fire. Uh, in the background, it kind of looks like one of those old-timey sea mines. <laughs> or or the top of a gauntlet, I think. Isn't that what they are? Oh, uh, a mace? No, a morning star. Yeah. That's what it's the, it looks like the oh. top of. Wow. <laughs> trying to come up with the right word there. So, a force field wall comes up, which takes concentration to phase through it, and she doesn't have that kind of time. So she ducks out of the way of the demon who slashes the wall open. I don't know why she doesn't phase through the floor, but... You know, yeah, under pressure. I think Kitty here is learning that physical ability sometimes is necessary when your powers aren't quite effective. Oh, you uh, think there's a moral here? Some, mm-hmm. Something like that. <laughs> uh, so the danger room is mostly destroyed. Uh, and she does actually say, now I understand about those darn exercises. So... She's learning her lesson, uh, but now she's like, this room is no longer uh, a place to have my last stand. So she phases out and she runs towards the hangar. That she does. Uh, the hangar, which is open, according to the giant sign yeah, the scan com- screen. The computer's just there to kind of tell <laughs> everybody what's going on. Burglar in zone four, hangar open, danger room activated, you know, things like that. She gets on the uh, the bus that'll take her out to the uh, the Blackbird. Now, were you were you aware that there was a bus or tram or whatever you want to call it from the mansion to the Blackbird? No, but but I'm glad there is. <laughs> Me too. But I think that this is the first kind of like, oh yeah, the the airplane's pretty far away from the mansion. Yeah. Well, it's uh, what do they say? It takes. 
this monocar can make it happen in less than a minute, but they don't really say. So Kitty, but, Kitty also here says, uh, uh, is it vulnerable to intense heat? Too bad I don't have some king-sized flamethrowers handy. They use them to fight that monster in that movie. It didn't work, though, but I remember what did. Oh, boy, I just hope it works as well for me. I'm pretty sure she's referring to Alien. I'm pretty sure she is, too, but it's been so long. I don't remember them using flamethrowers, but I do remember I, I do remember them doing what she's about to do. Yeah, I, I mean, there was, like, the, the giant... No, that was in Aliens where they have, like, the power lifters. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure there was flamethrowers in Alien, and they didn't work. I guess there, I guess there must have been. <laughs> Anyhow, the Alien... Unless she's talking about Dark Star. <laughs> Dark Star? Okay, I haven't seen that movie even longer than I've seen Alien. I don't think she's referring to Dark Star. So the alien grabs the monorail or whatever it is, track, and uh, bends it, and Kitty goes flying out. She hasn't even gone halfway, and she's got to run the rest of the way, which is 900 meters. So the whole thing is 1,800 meters away. One meter equals 3.3 feet, in case you were wondering. Yeah, which leads me to, like, why didn't he just write that? Like... It's 1,800 feet away. She ran 1,800 feet in three miles. I mean, three minutes. That's a, that's a good run. Yeah. It's almost as good as your run, Adam. It's it's probably better. <laughs> I think. So she gets to the Blackbird. Um, a little detail. Of course, had I been being chased by a giant demon on my run, I might have run a little faster. <laughs> it is a modified SR-71 Blackbird, perhaps the most powerful aircraft on Earth. It can circle the globe without refueling or soar to the edge of space, flying at hypersonic speeds over five times the speed of sound. So I think this is you need also... You know all of that because why? <laughs> well, number one, to further the plot of this comic book. But I mean, that this all sticks, basically. So it's it's nice that we're at least finally getting some backstory on the Blackbird. Maybe they won't blow this one up. The blackbird that comes and goes. <laughs> Changes design, comes and goes, yeah, you know. If the monster wants me, it'll have to tra- come run the, come down the transit tunnel. There's no other entrance to the hangar complex from the mansion. The hangar is constructed of steel and concrete, a couple of meters thick. Even that creature would have a time, hard time digging its way in here. I'm calling on it, being too angry to try. Reminding me so badly it'll follow the path of least resistance. Certain that I... Man, I got a lot of stuff to think about. <laughs> uh, so she's monitoring it in the tail camera. Um, and here's where we get the payoff. Now she has to remember how to turn on the Blackbird, referencing back her having to tell the professor the uh, the engagement order. Come to Kitty. Master switch on, internal power on, brakes, locks, fuel pumps on. What's next? I I don't know. Think, think, it's coming. What do I do? Just a couple more lousy steps. And then she punches the button and says, Got you! And straight out of Alien, I'm pretty sure this did happen in Alien. The uh, the thrusters from the Blackbird burn the demon alien to a crisp. <laughs> that, that definitely happened, right? You know... I mix up alien and alien. So in aliens, don't they, doesn't the alien get sucked out of the window hole? Or is that actually alien four? Oh boy. <laughs> I haven't seen alien four in 
since it was in the theaters. I think an alien resurrection gets sucked out the window. Aliens, I don't know. Oh, an alien three, uh, she Sigourney and the alien get dropped into like some, like what molten fire for some yeah, reason. Like some molten fire pit. As she's like, as it's as the chest burster is erupting from her chest. Aliens. And aliens. The she's she opens up the uh, the hatch and it just blows out. The, yeah, and it just blows out, and she's holding on using the power lifter. Yeah, and then an, and then an alien. I could swear this is where they they're getting this from. She this, so she has a, she has a suit in Alien, but it's not a power lifter, so it's just just some suit that she's wearing. Uh, I don't remember. because I thought the whole thing was on the spaceship. So how how could they have used like the thrusters? Did she land somewhere? Well, I, I'm pretty sure it gets. It gets she gets it uh, shot out into space. Or was there like an escape pod? And that... then she, like, uh, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch the end of Alien after this. <laughs> it's been yeah. No, no. I, clearly, I need to watch it again as well. I'll update us next week. <laughs> All right. Well, for those of you who are screaming at your pod iPods right now, telling us how it happened, uh, or telling us, us move on. <laughs> So she she does use the bla- the thrusters to blow uh to blow away the demon. The um blackbird goes flying forward into a hangar wall. And in this picture it doesn't it's not a very good looking um blackbird. It's very short and squat. Yeah. Doesn't really look like an SR71, but whatever. Well, you know, typical John Byrne by the last couple of pages he's running out of steam. And he's a little burnt out. She gets out of the plane. She's like, I did it. I must have KO'd the, the air cyclers. The hangar is so thick with smoke I can hardly see. So she walks down her uh, air stairs. Where's the monster? Did I kill it? I had to. Nothing could have survived this holocaust. Nothing. And that's when from out of the flames, a scraggly demon claw comes right towards Kitty face, Kitty's face. And she has time to scream. Cut to uh, midnight. And I don't know what happens, but the professor has arrived back at the mansion. Apparently they were driving around town looking at Christmas tree and decorations of houses. That sounds very exciting. (laughs) Maybe they could have taken Uh, Kitty with them. Yeah, I don't know. Icy roads and airport traffic jams caused ex- unexpected delays. An unexpected obstacle was a police roadblock in Salem Center. There had been a series of gruesome murders nearby earlier this evening, the last uncomfortably close to Xavier's school. The professor senses a miasma of evil about the house that inhibits his telepathic abilities. Check inside. Aurora, stay here. Protect the car. <laughs> What? And there are two two faces inside the car that, I mean, apparently we don't want to know about it or something. <laughs> those whoever those two people just as easily said protect, you know, the people in the car, but instead he just says protect the car. Oh, I got it. I didn't realize what was happening. I just saw the stay here, protect the car. I'm like, why is he ordering storm to protect the car? <laughs> No, there are people in the car. Uh, yeah, but I thought that that was like Nightcrawler and, um, I don't know, somebody else. Where is, Night, where is Nightcrawler? Exactly. Well, Colossus goes in. He's like, this is this is strange. It's significantly colder inside the house than outside. i got to work on that Russian. 
<laughs> I swear I've sensed this particular evil before, but for the life of me, I can't remember when. It's infuriating. <laughs> All seems peaceful, Professor. Wait, I hear the television. Someone must be in the living room. Kitty. Yawn. Oh, hi, Peter. Peter! Oh, wow! Oh, thank heavens, it's you! Wait till you hear what happened! You have no idea how happy I am to see you! Kitty, please! Hey, if you're uh, happy to see Peter, kitten, uh, how do you feel about us? Mom! Dad! You grew a beard! Her mom grew a beard? I know, it's really weird. <laughs> yep, and they're toasting over some punch, I would guess, because I guess the professor just keeps random bowls of punch in the house. And so that's what it was all about. They left Kitty behind so they could go pick up her parents as a surprise! Yes, they did. But It gosh. wasn't just a typical dickish professor move. Yeah, but they got back at midnight? I mean, I don't know. Well, because of, because of the roadblock. Ah, yes, you're right. Okay. Storm comes down from her attic and says, Kitty, I've been upstairs to my attic. Uh-oh. What precisely happened while we were gone? I was attacked by a big, ugly monster. A monster? Aurora, you had to see it to believe it. We fought. I got lucky. I won. <laughs> yep, but she wrecked the danger room and the blackbird and the hangar and a lot of the house. Are you angry? I'm not quite sure, but from the sound of things, I'm fairly certain I should feel terribly proud of you. Gee! <laughs> it had been the closest of close calls. She was too tired and too scared to face when the demon reached for her. It could have killed her had it gotten its hand on her, but it was dying on its feet, its unearthly form crumbling into dust with every step. It tried. It made a supreme effort. It failed. Alone on Christmas Eve, Kitty Pride underwent a rite of passage, a supreme test of her abilities, her intellect, her courage, herself. She passed. And we see the remaining dust of the demon reaching out. Next, the return of Cyclops. Whoa. Whoa, everybody. So, I don't know. It's a decent issue. Uh, a lot of thinking. I mean, obviously, it's the, here's Kitty Pride, everybody, and here's what she can do, um, which is good, I suppose. Yeah, it was a good issue. I liked it. It was, uh, you know, I yeah, there was a lot of thinking, but then that's how Chris Claremont writes. Well, I mean, it's also, you also have to, if it was, if it was nothing but um, action, which it could have very well been, uh, you would have gone through that comic book in like five minutes. We should do G.I. Joe 21. <laughs> Silent like do an interlude. One week, we'll just do an interlude, and we'll do G.I. Joe 21. That one, though, I bet you would take probably two hours to describe it all, because that one's actually probably. that one's actually really well done, because even though there's not a, a stitch of dialogue, I think there might be one sound effect in the entire comic. There's a lot of stuff going on from panel to panel. Yeah. Whereas, even though uh, I, I love Astonishing X-Men, um, there's some of those issues where you just you you just flip through them and you're done. I mean, really good art, good story, but just, you know, I don't know, more well, focusing on... These days, I agree, are, are a very quick read. Yeah. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis, with, you know, notwithstanding, but... Right. So, anyways... So, uh, it, and and there's there's a couple of things I want to uh, talk about in the letter page, the letters page. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
but they haven't open announced they they open with an announcement that this is John Byrne's last issue. He has resigned as penciler on the X-Men and it is also Terry Austin's last issue as they're attached at the hip. Oh man, why In all my years as a writer I've never worked with as good a creative team, as nice a pair of people as John and Terry. Terry. Together they reached Olympian levels of artistic quality and consistency. They will be missed. Uh, next issue, Dave Cockham's coming back. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, yay, Cockrum. What a jerk. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know. Clearly, so, Chris Sherman patterns the professor on himself. <laughs> right, exactly. John and Terry were awesome. They were the best people I've ever worked with. Next issue, Dave Cockrum. So what's the reasoning for the split? Do you know? Oh, I, I think... Uh, uh, John Byrne just wanted to do his own writing and he had an opportunity on the Fantastic Four and I believe a lot of other stuff too. He probably this is probably when Alpha Flight starts. Okay. Um and you know, he he just he wanted to be his own writer. So, and Chris Claremont was not giving up the X Men under any no. certain terms. So it's not like there was and any apparently they fought a lot too, but I don't know. Really? I, I, I like that's just I don't know if that's an actual fact, but that's what I've heard. Hmm. So next issue, Brent Anderson. The issue after that, the return of Dave Cockrum. Yay, Brent Anderson. Also in this letters page, um, Kurt Busiek, who is a comic book writer of some fame, writes a letter about how he has decided to stop reading the X-Men. He's been reading since issue 37, and 138 is his last issue. I read this letter. I had no idea that he was actually uh, involved in the comics medium. He totally is. He, uh, Kurt Busiek, um, oh man, he's written some stuff that I'm going to look up on Wikipedia right <laughs> now. Astro City was like the big one. But I think he has more mainstream stuff. And he wrote some action comics, some Aquaman, some Green Lanterns, some JLA, some Superman, a bunch of stuff for Wildstorm, Astro City, Darkman versus Army of Darkness, which one of these days I'm going to read, but I haven't gotten around to. Uh, some Avengers, some Captain America. Darkman. Oh, he wrote the Darkman series that was probably what the movie was based on. Do you think so? Or do you think that Dark... No, I bet you that this is like the movie adaptation. Oh, you think so? Yeah, you could be right. Yeah, it says that it's um, a it's an it's an American superhero action film directed by Sam Raimi. It's based on the short story by Raimi, uh, yeah, that he wrote as a uh, homage to Universal monster movies. Oh, so Darkman wasn't based on a comic book. I did not know that. Nope. I always assumed it was for some reason. Some, oh. po some Power Man, some Spider Man. Yeah, he's written a ton of stuff. Web of Spider-Man, bunch of what-ifs, some strange tales. Anyways, yeah, he, he says, uh, you've gone too far. He's very uh, upset at the creative direction that Claremont and Byrne went with uh, I, uh, with Phoenix, Hellfire Club. Yeah, the, the, the Hellfire Club was the last, uh, well, the Hellfire Club was the last straw, but he stuck on even through Dark Phoenix, and then that was that was really the last straw. <laughs> That's when you really jumped the shark prior to anybody knowing what that meant. <laughs> uh, his 
Astro City is what is what I guess what he is best known for, and that's I've always meant to read that. It's supposedly really really good. Hmm. Okay, it's like well. on my it's on my to do list. All right then. Anything else? We got a couple of uh, we got a couple of our own letters too, as uh, as the crow flies. <laughs> what? I don't know. We got a couple of ratings on the uh, iTunes page or the the iTunes the the podcast proper. Uh, we from Chromium. Chromina, I just can't read today. I recently assigned myself the task of reading every X-Men comic ever. He found this pod after read, after starting to read, and it's great to hear the guy's reactions to the ridiculous first issues that he is also trudging through. He's looking forward to coming back to these pods as he progresses through the series. Uh, he likes that we go through the issues in a more methodical page-by-page fashion unlike some other similar podcasts that you can find on the x-men screw those other podcasts no way adam <laughs> we got a tweet today from uh, uh i think it was edward gibson the third who said uh that he's catching up on podcasts and he mentioned us the uncanny x cast and uh what's the other one uh, the uncanny podcast i haven't listened to any of those and i'm not saying that nobody should uh but um, I can't listen to them because I don't want to be influenced by them. Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> it's you know, I, I, I know that like the uncanny X cast is, I think one of the first X-Men podcasts and, uh, and many might say the best, but I'll never know. Agreed. Uh, we also got, let's see, some other, uh, um, feedback, uh, from Chris Vandergrift. He just found this podcast a few weeks ago. He's up to episode 25. He's loving it. It's very entertaining and fun to listen to. And he tells us to keep up the good work. Well, when you hear this in like a year's time, when you finally gotten up with all of the podcasts, uh, hopefully we will have kept up the good work. I hope so. <laughs> We're, we're, we've been slacking lately. Yeah, well, we're about to turn that bus around, everybody. Hey, we we might we might uh we might we might be a little rusty, <laughs> but we're we're coming back. We're on the train to Good Times Town. We're on the train to Good Town now. <laughs> Put on your thinking brain and read another letter, Adam. How many uh how many reviews have we gotten, or how many uh, uh total five or ratings have we gotten? Sixty one. Wow. Yeah. Not bad at all. Not bad. At an, at an average of five stars, that's good stuff. It's fifty nine five stars, a three star, and a two star. And I got to be honest. I was pretty excited when we got five. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Let alone 61. So thanks, everybody, who's who's doing that thing. We are on the road to 100. <laughs> yep. Uh, we got a letter from Nicholas Hoekstra, who uh, we haven't heard from in a while. He says, uh, I've been with you since... Episode 20, I've spent the last year completing a master's degree, though, so I've saved up a ton of podcasts. I'm looking forward to catching up now. I think I'm currently listening to episode 108, so I've got quite a bit of listening to do. Anyway, just wanted to say I'm glad you guys have stuck with The Danger Room when so many other comic book podcasts have quit. Cheers. That's right. And we will continue sticking like butter to peanuts. (laughs) What? We got a tweet from Bill Ritchie. I'm going to try something here. Bill Ritchie says that he's not sure if we ever settled on a voice for Arcade, and I don't think we actually have to revisit that for a little while because I think we got a little Arcade reprieve. But he's asked if we've considered Rumpelstiltskin from Once Upon a Time. Uh, I have not watched 
much or any of that show, but I have a clip. My ex-girlfriend watched this show, kind of, and so I watched this show. And um, the that actor is the guy from uh, remember Train Spotting? Yes. Oh, he yes. Was the guy who always got in bar fights. Was he also in one of the Twenty Eight Days, Twenty Eight Months movies? It's quite possible because those are by the same director as the Train Spotting guy. Yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. I'm looking at his face right here. Do you remember the voice? And, uh, of his Rumpelstiltskin? Yeah, he was actually one of the highlights of a pretty terrible show. All right. Um, go for it. Let's. I, I'm, it's not queued up, so it might be a little out okay. of order, but let's, let's find out what happens. You must heed my every request. You must do whatever I say, so long as I say. Please. Oh, and it's, uh, is that him? Is that Rumpelstiltskin? Yeah, that's Rumpelstiltskin. So just kind of like a like a you do believe you do realize you have to do whatever you think that's a good arcade voice. Well, we found out that he has a country twang. So oh, that's right. We have to stick to the country twang. You mix that Rumpelstiltskin with a country twang. Y'all didn't yeah. believe that. <laughs> I'm arcade. Well, that could work. Yeah, that's pretty good. Mix those two together, and I think you got something. Although, by the time we get to the next arcade issue, I I will not remember that. (laughs) We're not going to remember that. Anyhow. We got a letter from uh, George Volko, who is uh, one of our our heavy Twitter followers. She's always commenting on us on Twitter, but now he's written us an email. He's been listening to the show for about a year, a year and a half. And uh, we are one of the bright spots of his week. Thank you. You're greatly contributing to his X-Men knowledge, which that, that's surprising. Yeah. <laughs> so I just wanted to say thanks very much. He just saw X-Men Days of Future Past, or as they call it in Japan, X-Men Future and Past. Does that mean you're in Japan, George Valco? I would imagine um, so. She, he enjoyed the movie uh, mostly because the acting and character work was well done. And he liked seeing the X-Men working as a team, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think we also talked about. Uh, He says the highlight may be when Blink, who is one of his favorite characters, used Colossus's following momentum as a well-timed portal to attack a future Sentinel. Yeah. Quicksilver was also a highlight. And uh, he found he even joy. He even though he enjoyed the movie. He thought visually it looked a little bland slash average to me, which is kind of a the the the, the pattern of all of the movies. They all have a kind of uh, dim tone to them. Everything's a little gray. Yeah, I mean certainly the future scenes were dark and gray, but I mean that's part of the whole mode. But I almost wonder if he's just meaning because at one point during the movie, I realized that it was playing out more as a sci-fi film and less as a superhero film because other than like the scenes of the future, the characters in the seventies, they didn't wear costumes. They were just people that happened to have powers. So there's a scene like where Wolverine's like walking down the street and, you know, you're getting the whole seventies montage going on. 
And it's like, this could be almost any movie. Like There's, there's nothing here that says X-Men right now. Oh, that's interesting. Which... He does say visually, he, spe- he specifically says visually it looked a little bland, hmm. average. So but I'm wondering if I, that's, I, don't know. I guess that's what I'm wondering is like, since there was a lack of costumes and maybe a lack of like sparkly, shiny powers in the middle of the movie, not, I mean, the beginning and the end were full of powers and, and costumes, but the, the bulk of the movie uh, was not. So I'm, I'm just curious if maybe that's what he's referring to. Could be way off. And then he also says, especially the action scenes in the 70s. Nope. So, <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> you're right on the money. Um, all in all, it's still near the top of the X-Men movies for me, and I, he can't wait to hear what we have to say about it, which he's probably already heard. Yeah. And uh, he wants us to give a shout-out to the podcast that goes snicked, um, which... If he's been listening to our show, uh, I think we've done like eight or nine times. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you who are just joining our podcast, uh, you can check out that podcast, uh, podcast that goes snicked. I think we get updates on the Facebook page. So if you're part of our Facebook page, you should be seeing those updates as well. So it's just a grand old X-Men party here at the Danger Room. Woohoo! Thanks so much for putting out the podcast and listening to my email ram- ramblings, Georgie V. And if you're writing from Japan, let us know, because that's, I don't, I don't know, I'm kind of, I just want to know. Adam, the internet makes us a smaller world. I know it's none of my business, but I just want to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got a bunch of communique from the Facebook. Uh, Dan Kagaris writes that I can't read old X-Men comics anymore without hearing the characters in your voices. Not sure if I'm mad or laughing. Yeah, I'd be mad. <laughs> oh, I wanted to go back to, to was it Georgie V that he says he's getting a lot of X-Men knowledge from our podcast? Yes. Because yeah. I wanted to add to that that we're a trust but verify podcast. So kind of go into the <laughs> world and be like, yeah, those guys said this, but I'm just going to look it up because just trust but verify. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we don't get everything exactly correct. Uh, apparently there was a issue where we couldn't get past anything past episode 39. I assume that's been fixed. Yes. Yep. A little technical okay. difficulty on, uh, well, actually our, our little podcast plugin screwed us. They changed like how they were directing traffic. And I said, I don't care about statistics. I'm not trying, I don't want to sell our statistics for our, our hard one audience i don't want to sell that to some third party not that i was selling anything because i don't make any money but it seemed that they were redirecting our statistics to another service which closed down or something i was like well that's stupid so i turned all that off (laughs) so there you go all right and that's that's it from the facebook uh that i that i was able to find facebook is so disorganized i can't ever find anything so hopefully that yeah i lose a lot of things on facebook as well like i know there's a message that we received i just can't find it is it on the top right or the bottom left or in the little envelope um but anyways, yeah, if you'd like to join in, uh, you can you can do uh, well. You can go to facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. You can you can try to post a message there, and we generally find all of those. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Danger Room Go, or you can email us uh, at Danger Room at redcapproductions.com, or you can visit our slightly newly revamped, redesigned webpage www.xmenpodcast.com. Before, when you would go there, it would just be a lot of boring synopsises, but now we've actually added all of the, the covers to the issues, so it actually kind of, you know, I don't know, adds some pizzazz, a little bit of color to the page. 
Uh, or you could call us at 501-GET-X-MEN. Nobody ever wants to hear their voice on the podcast, I think, must be the problem. So uh, so get your friend to call who, who has no idea what they're calling. So tired of hearing my voice on the podcast. When's somebody going to take over for me? <laughs> Adam, I've been asking that since episode one. <laughs> <laughs> So on that note, uh, I, I I did some extra reading this this week. Really? Yeah. He says as if, as if he doesn't he didn't already know that. <laughs> I did question mark. Uh, I read the premiere issue of Dazzler, which also came out this very month. Yes, sir. And the events of this issue actually take place slightly before the uh, events in X-Men 143, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, actually, I skimmed through this one as well just because the X-Men were in it. So Yeah. The cover, is, uh, the cover is probably the best part of this whole comic book. It's a, it's a painted number. Um, it's got Dazzler on the cover, the Enchantress, Spider-Man, Iron Man, and Nightcrawler, kind of in portrait format. You, I would buy this comic book expecting that the entire book is going to be done this way, but it's not. No, sir. <laughs> uh, basically, this uh, issue is establishing the character of Dazzler, um, just kind of setting up her her story, I guess. Uh, I don't know. It's not really the intro issue that I would do, but I guess... Nobody ever asked me, so what do I know? <laughs> but basically the plot is is this, is that uh, she's being chased by some goons. And the reason that she's being chased by these goons is because uh, her manager, who was booking her at a disco, decided that he wanted 100% of the take. And she said, no way, I ain't having any of that. I'm going to be a big star. I quit. And so she went out on her own. Well, she left the club, and that's when apparently this guy hired these goons to get her. And uh, we get a little bit of a uh, uh, introduction to her magnetic snap-on um, roller skates. We get a little bit more uh, introduction to her power. She pulls out a radio, and the radio is blasting some tunes. And as she does that, she thinks to herself that she's got the ability to transfer sound into light. And that's when she dazzles all these goons that are trying to beat her up. Oh, I just noticed it's a Pink Floyd song that blares from the miniature radio. Yes, it is. <laughs> That's when Spider-Man notices the commotion. He comes down and he's like, what's going on down here? And he makes some, some typical Spider-Man jokes. And he recognizes Dazzler because they met before in, what, Amazing Spider-Man 160 or something like that? Uh, I believe it says somewhere. It uh, does. 203. 203. Close, 160, 203. Close enough. <laughs> Uh, the bad guys are chased away eventually. Spider-Man uh, captures them, though, with his webbing. He stops the car. He ties the car and the, the goons up, and they he talks with Dazzler for a little bit, swings off. That's when she gives him the kind of the, the lowdown on her manager and all that sort of stuff. So she skates off into the distance, and she's all like, being a singing star has always been my one burning ambition, but chasing a dream can be so lonely, so terribly terribly lonely <laughs> so that's the action-packed introduction to dazzler she heads over to her apartment which is kind of this crackly low rent place somewhere in manhattan 
She's got she's hungry, but the only thing she's got in her fridge are some ice cubes and half of a melon. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> she finished off the last of the peanut butter last night. She said that she would make some um what does she call it? She says uh uh some fake tomato soup and apparently the ingredients to fake tomato soup are ketchup and water. <laughs> so they're really establishing that she's Poe. <laughs> So she finishes off the last of her crackers and she continues to think too much or think continues to think to herself how much singing means to her and music is important. But daddy didn't understand. He wanted her to go to law school. And so that's when he decides that or when she decides that, like, maybe she'll never make it and maybe her career's in the pits and maybe she's at the bottom bottom of her barrel. and She doesn't know who to turn to. She Mom's dead, apparently. Dad doesn't listen to her. She got nobody, so she picks up the phone and she makes a phone call. But before we get to see what happens with that phone call, we transfer over to the X-Men who are typically doing typical X-Men things in the danger room. There's some banter between everybody. Kitty's running a danger room simulation. Storm's flying through some poops or something. Colossus is going to be crushed by a little thing like he always gets crushed by. Why is Angel not there? He's making phone calls with Candy Southern. <laughs> like I said, this takes this takes place slightly before issue 143. You think it's Candy Southern? Cuz they say uh he had to go out of, he had to go into New York for the day Wolverine on business and then Colossus says about 5 foot 5 100 pounds raven hair blue eyes. Yeah. I think Candy Southern's got raven hair, black hair. Does she? Yeah. Okay. Fine. Okay. So apparently, if this takes place before one forty-three, Angel was lying to us in the issue, and he said it's been months since I've had a date with Candy. Don't expect to see me until Easter. One hundred pounds. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't wait. She doesn't eat. She's on the Allison Blair diet of ketchup and water. <laughs> Wolverine is slashing at some discs that are coming out of the side of the danger room. Uh, Nightcrawler's teleporting all around, and then the phone rings. So Nightcrawler goes for it, but but Colossus is expecting a phone call from Elizabeth, and Wolverine is like, what are y'all doing? I'll get the phone. And that's when Storm flies over all of them, and she's the one that answers the phone after all of the other X-Men topple over each other, and it's hilarious. And Wolverine nearly kills Nightcrawler. Yeah. I don't have time to retract my claws. Nightcrawler, get out of the way. But he could say all that. <laughs> it's, it should also be noted that uh, Kitty Pride is monitoring and she thinks to herself, I wish there was some way to prove myself to the team that Sprite is worthy of being an X-Man. And then it says, Kitty will soon get her wish in X-Men 143 on sale this Christmas. And as she descends down to the danger room where everybody's fighting over the phone, she thinks to herself, Who is this Elizabeth Peter so eager to see? His girlfriend? Not happy about that. So after all of that build-up, Storm answers the phone, and she's like, Allison, it's good to hear from you. Have you decided to join the X-Men and quit singing? And she's like, give up singing? No. Uh, I gotta go. And she hangs up. <laughs> Essentially. There's some more dialogue in there, but... She like all of that build up and you get like one panel of like, well, I just wanted to see what was going on. And, uh, mm, well, you guys are busy. So, uh, talk to you later. 
And that's when she hangs up the phone and she realizes that maybe she was at her lowest point and she was considering giving up, but living apart from music, that's, she couldn't do that. So she goes over to her Marin's CX-550 and she perfectly dials in a balance of uh, Billy Joel and she says, maybe I can gentle down with some Billy Joel. Gentle down? <laughs> Did anybody talk like that? Apparently... All right, so she's mellowed by the music, and she's taking a look at an icy bridge, and she thinks back to the past where she was dancing with the music, but her dad would come in, and he's got a suit and a vest, and he's smoking a pipe, and he's like, you need to do your studies. You can't go to the talent show slash dance. I won't allow it. While you're in junior high, you will focus on your studies. And, and then he throws in, you've been complaining about migraines, and I'm convinced it's the loud music that causes them. But little Allison's like, Daddy. Apparently, <clears throat> uh, they live with their grandmother, uh, Grandma Bella. So she goes up to Grandma Bella and she's like, why does he disapprove of everything I do? And she says, your father loves you. He's just been able to deal with the feeling since uh, your mother was lost. But uh, you, you, go to the jan you go to the dance. Don't worry about your dad. I'll take care of him. So get this. <laughs> Allison Blair <laughs> goes to the dance slash contest slash disco at glendale high it's a high school okay oh, it's gardendale high gardendale thank you but it's still it's a high school right glendale high would be <clears throat> archie universe well, that's that's true uh so she her friends are like oh girl you got this contest they know it they're like she's she's a fox and she can dance and she sparkles and she can sing Oh, my God. So everybody's just in love with Allison. Allison is in love with herself. And all she can think about is, like, she can't wait until she can sing. And finally, the time comes. The band stops. The principal gets up and hands the microphone over to Allison. And she starts singing. And as she starts singing, colors start popping out of nowhere. And people in the audience are like, out of sight, man. I never knew our gym had a light show. And uh, this other woman, she's like, oh, man, check out Ellie. She's as surprised as everyone else. But just like everything in the Marvel Universe, just when you're having a good time, a bunch of thugs break down the doors and decide to <laughs> cause a ruckus for no apparent reason whatsoever. So these guys with their jean jackets and vests and long hair and afros and baseball bats, I don't know. <laughs> Stop, you're not students. You can't come barging in here. Shut up, old man. <laughs> and you look at this picture, and he's like, the blazing lords go where they choose. He's the guy that came in with a baseball bat and apparently strikes the principal three times with that baseball bat in the face. With the butt end. Yeah, and he says, you'll pay for... Oh, I see. He's got the butt end in his uh, right hand, and I think he slapped him with his left hand. Okay. Still, he's like, you'll pay for not inviting us in. Like, what did the Blazing Lords think? <laughs> they're, they're just really upset. <laughs> Why didn't that high school invite us in? We're clearly 20-year-old ruffians. We never get invited to any high school dances. <laughs> and this other guy, he's like, cripple anyone who moves. Destroy anything that doesn't. <laughs> and Allison's like, what the... This is my breakout moment. And she's like, these monsters inflict pain for humiliation for the sheer savage of it all. And I won't let them. And that's when she cuts loose with a huge bout of light, basically making everybody fall unconscious. Whoo. 
everybody there is like, wow, the f- uh, there must have been a freak power overlord or overload rather that temporarily blinded every kid in the place. Luckily, they'll all recover. But this is when Allison realizes that she's the freak. She's the monster. So. For the next few years, she practices uh, law, and she practices singing, and she harnesses the uh, the uh, power, her power. She harnesses her power, control of her power. And so finally, she graduates magna cum laude. I don't know if this is of high school or maybe of a junior college, but anyway, she'll be attending the law school that her father has picked for her, and she says, no, daddy. You've spent too many years coming between or putting the law between my dream of music and me. I've got to be true. To, I got to be me. I got to be true to myself. So that's when she dons the makeup, builds her custom roller skates, and becomes the Dazzler. Wow. Yeah. And then this is where the comic book for me really goes off the rails. <laughs> if it wasn't bad enough with like ruffians coming in and destroying the school dance, we have to flip our attention over to Asgard for some reason. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Asgard, <laughs> and there's like this barbarian guy who really really needs to see somebody inside the castle but these ogre guys are like no you can't anyways he gets in and it turns out that he wants to see the enchantress but i think the enchantress like uh, casts a spell on him or enchants him essentially and turns him into a tree and then she uh, looks into her mystic pool of something or other and sees that there's a contest on Midgard and she wants to be a part of it. I don't know. This part really kind of fell apart for me. (laughs) (laughs) But she looks into her pool and she sees a disco in Midgard and decides that she wants to go there and she wants to be there. I I don't really know. But we flip our attention over to Avengers Mansion where Beast is reading the newspaper and he gets really excited at the article that he sees. So he starts bouncing off the wall and Jarvis is surprised and he almost topples over Wasp and Wasp's like, hey, watch out where you're going. And he's like, oops, no time. I'm on a rush. And that's when Wasp stings him in the butt with his little bioenergy blast. And they're fighting. <laughs> Meanwhile, Captain America and Iron Man are moving some equipment. And and uh, Iron Man's like, this is a lot of work. And Captain America's like, I know, but you're a robot guy. And Captain or, uh, Iron Man's like, I'm still doing the work and blah, blah, blah. They hear the fight outside and they come out and they see Beast trying to swat Wasp with a newspaper. <laughs> and Wasp is like, he's trying to swat me with the newspaper. And Beast is like, I'm sorry, I got things out of hand, but I got to get out of here. I saw something in the newspaper that I need to talk to somebody. And he still, like, after all that, doesn't have time to tell anybody the very simple news that he's going over to Allison Blair's house to tell her, which is there's a singer ill and a disco boss is looking for a replacement. No time. No time to tell that to anybody at the Avengers Mansion. Does Beast, has Beast ever met? Uh, Allison Blair that we know of? No. And actually he says that in here. He's like, I realize we haven't been formally introduced, but I've got some news that'll make you love me forever. So apparently he's just trying to, you said he was kind of like a, like a ladies man. So maybe he's just trying to get himself some Allison. (laughs) So the final part of the story is there's a disco boss who's looking to open up a swanky club named Numero Uno. And he's taking auditions for, acts and all the ladies that he has had uh, uh, audition for him have just not cut it and that's when the enchantress walks in smoking a cigarette and says i'm your singer and she enchants him 
and she sings a song and he's like, oh, well, the job's yours. But that's when Alison Blair comes in and says, hey, give me a chance. And he's like, I don't even know why you want to because it's hers, but you can go ahead up on that stage and waste your time if you want. And so she goes up there, she sings a song, she sparkles with her dazzle power. And the guy's like, um, well, um, this girl's out of the world, but I'll give it to you because you have a better voice. And the enchantress is like, I've never been so humiliated. You'll pay for this. And she destroys the wall on the side of the disco. She turns around and says, terrible humans, let your hearts chill with the knowledge that return I shall. So she starts talking like Yoda. And on that day, you shall both pay for this unseemly affront. Dearly shall you pay. Mm, dearly shall you pay. <laughs> and that's the end of the issue. <laughs> so, uh, uh, was, that, was that like a double-sized issue or something? It was two pages longer than a normal issue. It's 26 pages as opposed to the regular 24 pages. Wow. But that was, uh, oh, and then for some reason, uh, there on the back cover, there is a portrait of Blastar. Uh, well, that's probably not the back cover that's probably whoever scanned the the comic think so yeah i'm gonna check the next one no i don't think so i think it's a pinup i could be wrong why would there be a blast star <laughs> in a fight? it looks like uh mike mcnolia so there you go everybody the very first lackluster issue of dazzler now i don't know if we read it on the podcast but there was one of our listeners who did give us a warning that we may want to skip Dazzlers. So that was kind of a long-winded uh, summary, but I wanted to do it that way since we had all of the cameos and we had the long uh, origin of Dazzler. Uh, I envision the next one's going much quicker. You might say it'll go much quicker like my review of Avengers 205. Nice segue. <laughs> uh, last episode, we, which was a month ago, we learned that the Yellow Claw was taking, had nine wives that he was going to impregnate with sons who would then battle to the death to become, to uh, take on his essence and become his heir and rule the planet. And now we learn the second part of his plan is that he is going to deliver uh, gas through missiles that will sterilize the planet, eventually wiping out the human race. And he's also breeding a uh, a bunch of mindless super hulks in order to uh, that will follow him because otherwise he wouldn't have anybody to listen to his rulership. Um, the Avengers beat him. That's it. Wow, that was brief. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there really wasn't a whole lot of beast cameo here, but I thought the Yellow Claw's plan was interesting enough to talk about. Okay. Sterilize the planet, man. That's right. That's 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 pretty intense. <laughs> Anything else? No. All right, then. So that's all that came out in April of 1980 or March of 1980. Well, then, until next time, the danger room is closed. Physical, physical, get physical. This may be the greatest video I have seen in five years. All these fat guys <laughs> working out in the middle of the 80s-est workout room you've ever seen with Olivia Newton-John just laying underneath their legs and stuff. That's a good video. 